0: You can contact Casey at kc.burns at primelending.com, reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. Um, I'm here with a couple special guests tonight running with uh, part three of After the Kill here. We got Bobby McCready. What's going on, Bobby? What's up, Garter? How are you, man? Good, man. You're uh, becoming a real regular around here.
1: Yeah, I just sit around and do nothing, and here I am, always ready to uh, just be ready to jump on for you, man. I love talking about everything that we talk about, So, and I have a yeah. face for radio, I hear, so that's why. <laughs>
0: it's weird. Last time we recorded this, this is the second time. This is 2.0 we're recording this because we had some audio issues from a certain special someone who we all love and appreciate we're not going to name names caleb bell and uh you know last you time we caleb did this bell? yeah last <laughs> time we did this uh you said i had the face for radio so i'm glad you're taking the, the credit for that <sighs> this time shit let me let's start over again take four <laughs> <laughs> and we got caleb coming at us from colorado what's going on caleb
2: You know, I don't know if I'm technically appreciating these passive aggressive comments and the, the really painfulness that this is causing me that I screwed up our last one. So my new name is going to be Kaleeb moving forward. So in the past, the other guy, he didn't have the quite the right personality for it. So now that we're back at it, Mr. December in the calendar, and I definitely have a better face for radio than all four of you guys. So
0: yeah, for sure. Not just December, but you probably get, you can probably have my month too, if anybody asks. So yeah, appreciate it, man. And, uh, Coming at us from California, we got Scotty Eisen. What's going on, Scotty?
3: What's up, boys? Happy to be back. And uh, i must say, I don't know if any of you three have a face for radio, but I can tell you that your vo- you have a voice for radio, and I'll give you that much.
0: <laughs> well, that's all we need for this platform, man. That'll, that'll get us somewhere. That means something around here.
3: The but soothing yeah. sounds of Carter.
0: That's right, man. The soothing <laughs> sounds. You know who has a voice uh, for radio is Perry. Perry, that man, that son of a bitch. He's got a good voice. It's smooth, yeah. It is smooth. It is smooth. <laughs> but yeah, here we go. Uh, after the kill, part three, boys. Um, on the last episode, we got uh, we got in our feels about kind of hunting and what hunting means to us, and after the kill and kind of respecting the kill, talking about hunting from that aspect. Um, and now we're going a little more tangible. We're getting uh, we're getting down to the bones of it, and uh, we're gonna kind of ask an expert here. To kind of unpack what uh, his after the kill process looks like, as far as Euromounting goes. So, you know, I asked Bobby to come on here every time I got Bobby on here and, and Caleb too, or Kalib too. You see the Euromounts hanging on their walls behind them, um, above their heads. Thought uh, they'd be interested in this topic, and we're all uh, we're super fangirls about <laughs> Scotty's Instagram page. So, you know, we got the yeah, man in the
1: mid. <laughs> We're all sweating right now. Yeah, just he's man, the myth, the legend on this.
0: here, the expert himself. So, yeah, Scotty, why don't you tell us a little about Euro uh, mounts? Maybe lay it out for folks who don't know what a Euro mount is, and we'll jump into this.
3: Definitely. Wow, you guys are making me blush. I'll tell you that much. Um, no, happy to be here, guys. Um, talking about something that um, I'm really passionate about, something I really enjoy doing, and. Um, Happy to have a, have this platform here with HLE to to talk about it with you boys and um, yeah European mounts for those of you that don't know what a European mount is it's essentially a, a clean skull you know you can do them on any type of animal and uh, for anybody that uh, hunts uh, it's a great um, avenue for anybody to kind of hold on to that that memory to that animal to you know pay some respect to um the kill and uh definitely something i'm passionate about and uh um thankful that you know that you know i i got on instagram and started posting my pictures and stuff and you know things happen and over time and managed to meet and talk to a bunch of cool people you guys included and um this european mounts kind of um starting to take off it's definitely a hobby for me you know so i appreciate the uh the compliment as being a professional but uh it's definitely a hobby for me and uh but something that i get a little bit better at every time i do and um and uh, happy to talk about it today and hopefully answer some questions and provide some some uh, valuable information to those of you that are uh, interested in the process
0: yeah that's a good distinction uh <laughs> it's a hobby not a profession right although you probably could charge money you know i'm gonna start sending you my skulls Every squirrel skull, every possum skull I find on the side side of the road, Caleb's going to start sending you cats that he finds on the side of the road, man. But yeah, it's a a good discipline and it's a a great uh, new skill set to learn if you're you're a hunter or an outdoorsman at all um, and are interested in kind of taking the reins on what can be an expensive part of after the kill. Um, It is doable. The barrier of entry, it, it may seem daunting at first, but hopefully after this episode, um, you'll realize, hey, I I can do this too, and I can I can do it, you know, almost as good, just as good, better than some taxidermists.
2: Yeah, you're definitely gonna have to start charging me when you start seeing what I'm gonna send you in the mail. It actually might get stopped. I don't I don't know. There's a good question. I'm not sure what the parameters are of items you can and cannot mail through the post office, but there's a good possibility they might get held up. And if so, I'm sorry. And by the time they get to you, they might not smell good. There might be a worm or two crawling out of it. Just remind yourself that we're friends.
1: Yeah, I, I already slipped into his DMs already, like, you know, the little fangirl I am to ask questions about my turkey head that's sitting in my freezer.
0: It's already in the mail. It's on the way. It's, <laughs> it's there.
3: Just wrap that's it fun. tight in duct tape, make sure it's frozen, and send it on over. I'll see what I can do with it. But um no, I, I, I love it when people like you, Bobby, reach out to me and ask some questions here and there. I love trying to help out um, because this process is totally something that anybody can do. Um, and even through uh, my time, um, just through Instagram and getting to know different people, I've reached out to professional taxidermists out there and they've been nothing but help for me mm-hmm. along the process. Uh, I did, I've done a couple... Uh, pig skulls for the first time. And I was kind of running into a couple little speed bumps here that I was just unfamiliar with. And, you know, just jumped on Instagram and reached out to some guys in Utah and he was cool. Just helped giving me some tips. And, um, another guy, another gentleman here in California that hunts a lot of pigs, he's a guide. Um, and he was, uh, he was helping me out too. So that's what the community is all about, helping each other out and learning something new. And so, uh, um, so I love it and I love that we're here talking about it.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. There's uh, so much information out there and, you know, there's as many different ways to kind of do the Euro process as there are hunters almost, you know, a lot of different ways. And um, we're going to get into kind of the ways that you maybe you started, Scotty, and and how your process has kind of transitioned a little bit. And, um, you know, I'll mention my kind of more rudimentary way to do it and how that kind of has graduated to a, a cleaner, better looking skull um, but that's what it is at the base of it right like they're clean they're like they're elegant looking they they look good on the wall man like I love a euro mount I love you know I've got a couple shoulder mounts and I love them they're classic they're 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 timeless especially if they're done right um, but you know they take up a lot of space <laughs> they're expensive as hell and uh, at this point um, you know we live in a tiny little farmhouse that was built in 1930. There's, there ain't that much you know wall space left and uh, my wife is kind of over the shoulder mounts but the euro mounts I can get away with they uh you know they've made a little comeback from a design point of view in the uh the last couple of years so euro mounts are clean they're popular they're good for designing and it's a great way to uh, remember the kill
2: I love that aspect of it too I mean there's so many resources like you said Scotty don't hesitate to reach out and talk to somebody especially on the euro side of it There's a hundred different people out there that do it a hundred different ways. So don't be scared at all to dive in and ask questions. Got a great resource here on the team with Scotty. You've got a couple amateurs at it. That would definitely be me. You know, I still eat brains occasionally because I'm not paying attention when I'm pressure washing. So there's a lot of things that we all could learn from. So it's going to be pretty cool dumping into this one and and seeing what we can do. But Carter, it looks like you've got plenty of wall space back there. You're just going to have to take off one or two of those pictures when your wife's not home and not paying attention.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. like Yeah. It's a big, it's a big thing. Like my dad's an artist and an interior designer. So like there's art all over our walls and, you know, I sneak the skulls in where I can and the rest go in the shop, but we we work with what we got.
1: Yeah, well that's the thing. You you get the skulls look so clean. And if you got somebody at home, you know, like your wife, you're trying to hide a skull from, just slap a home goods sticker right on that bad boy and say, Look what I just picked up for $29.99. And then your (laughs) wife is like, Oh, that's so decorative and so beautiful. And don't even have to tell her a word. Just put Pottery barn, eight
0: hundred dollars. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's what do. you've never been to Hobby Lobby
3: in your life. Why are you going now?
0: (laughs) I love it.
3: So Scotty, yeah, they're watch
0: definitely, a, oh, sorry, man. Go ahead.
3: No, no. They're definitely kind of in nowadays, you know, aesthetically and, and, uh, in for the, even the, for, for the wives, like you guys are all talking about, I mean, they, um, they love them and my wife likes them. And so that's kind of what, uh, what got me. I'm like, well, she likes them. Maybe, uh, maybe I can get away with a little bit more here. So, uh, you know, kind of perfected my process a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And, uh, let's jump into the process. Let's break it down. You, uh, you got an animal down, you cut the head off, you, you get it back to your place of work, man. Take us through, take us through the journey,
3: the journey. Exactly. And that's what it is. When you work on these skulls there, they are a journey individually, you know, and, um, it goes without saying that every skull is different, you know, every animal is different. Um, and, uh, there's no perfect skull out there. So, um, the journey begins, you know, with the kill, you get something down on the ground. Um, and, uh, you're, they're going to pack it out. You're going to get it back to, uh, uh, to hang or home. Um, and the key is, uh, to just, uh, take care of that head. Um, you know, uh, weight sometimes is a concern if you're packing out. Uh, so sometimes if you're in the field way back in the back country, um, you know, that hide on the face, believe it or not, probably weighs, I don't know, good five, eight pounds, maybe, you know, after it's all skin. And if you can cut a a chunk of meat off. I mean, that's, that's a lot of weight off your shoulders, um, for the long run. But, uh, uh, so that's something to, to take into consideration where you're, where you're hunting, how you're getting back. Um, otherwise, you know, the, an important thing to know is that, um, if you can leave the hide on the face, that's great. Um, you know, you can just literally, if you, well, it's kind of hard to freeze a deer, but if you have anything else, you know, it's fine to leave that hide on the face, um, as long as possible up until the point where you're getting ready to uh you know you're prepared and you're ready to start that european mount um so uh usually with deer you're coming home you know it's been a long trip um hunting and and you know you got you're taking care of your meat the European the the skull is probably one of the last things you're gonna get to uh the key to um, getting started with that process is hydration um you know we it might be a week after the kill it might you know be a couple days but um, it's important. And this is something that I've learned over the years is to, um, rehydrate those skulls before you, um, begin. Um, and that hydration, that water is going to kind of soak into the hide. It's going to soak into the tissues and the meat and loosen things up. Um, might make it a little bit easier to skin for sure, but it's going to just hydrate those bones and kind of prepare it really, um, for the boil. Cause, um, there are obviously a, there are For those of you that don't know, there's many ways to do um, a European mount. My preferred method is the boil, um, but there are a lot of methods to to start. And um, there's a method that we'll talk about. It's called maceration. Um, And maceration is essentially a long-term exposure to water, utilizing bacteria um, to the the natural bacteria within the meats to kind of eat away at that, at, at the meat and the tissue on its own naturally over time. Um, so rehydrating to begin with is something that's going to really help the process. It's going to help, um, pull a lot of those oils out of the bone itself, uh, before you even get to the boil. So, um, that hydration process is is a key step that's sometimes, uh, overlooked, but, uh, definitely an important part of the process.
2: I love that you're diving into that because I'm still pretty much an amateur when it comes to doing the, the Euro mounts on my own. It's a lot of fun and I enjoy it. But that rehydration process, somebody introduced that to me about two, I want to say about two years ago, and I didn't realize how much of a difference it made, but being an amateur and being a beginner at it, that rehydration kind of, it helps you prevent overboiling. And I'm sure you're going to jump into that here a little bit and talk about what happens when you overboil a skull, but it really helps pull some of that meat off and and really kind of loosen it up a little bit to help keep you the boiling point at a lower, basically a lower temperature and then prevent you or help prevent you from really destroying that skull from overboiling or overcooking. So that's awesome. you touch on
0: that. Yeah. I had uh, never heard of the rehydration kind of process until you, you brought it up, Scotty. And that's really interesting. I can't wait to kind of try that out this next fall. I mean, shoot, the first one I ever tried to do was the first buck I ever killed. I was in college and I was broke. And, uh, I didn't start hunting till my freshman year of college. And I, I killed this buck up in North Georgia, nice six pointer. And then, uh, <laughs> I tied it to an Oak tree at the house that we lived in and in, in Dahlonega up in the mountains and, uh, stuck it in an ant pile. And that was my, that was my entire Euro process. That was, that was it. Just let the ants kind of do their work. Um, and it turned out fine. I mean, they cleaned it off eventually it took a couple months and, uh, but it came out turning, you know, looking a little brown, a little earthy, a little, little sloppy looking. The nose pieces were falling apart and, you know, it wasn't ideal. So, you know, I'm I'm excited to hear these kind of nuanced uh, steps of, of this process to try myself.
2: Moving forward, can we call the uh, rehydration process marinating? I just want to throw <laughs> up a little bit in my mouth when I think about marinating and, and you know, hey, let's just Gross. call it marinating.
0: Gross. Gross. When we get to the boiling process, it's already gross and cutting the face off is gross. I don't like any of it, but yeah. Marinating.
3: Yeah. Well, even before you start the marination process, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, after the kill, you get some down. Some of, some of us are traveling to hunt. Um, so it's important to know your state laws. Um, you know, for us here in California, we are not supposed to bring, um, essentially brain matter over state line from out of state. Um, a lot of that is because of, uh, at least for us out in Colorado due to chronic wasting disease, um, they don't want any brain matter coming across state line. So this year, what we did, um, well, in years past, we, we may have tried to kind of skirt around that as much as possible. Um, but, um, this year, what we did is, is, you know, I kind of stirred up the brain a little bit. And on our way through, when we were coming through Salt Lake City, we stopped at one of those outdoor um, car wash stations. And I just blasted all the brains out of that brain cavity before we even uh, got hardly on the road a little bit. So that way, you know, it kind of relieved a lot of that kind of, Yeah, you know, I'm always a little, little anxious crossing. We, you got to go through the checkpoint and I'm just afraid they're going to keep us there and make us, fill out all these forms and declare all our our meat and everything and look and find something wrong and keep my rack, which would be just the worst thing ever. Um, but thank God it's never happened, but this year, so that's what we did. And I'll probably do that every year coming up here, uh, just to make sure that everything's totally clean. So, uh, be aware of the rain matter and state laws coming, moving around. Why, if you're hunting out here in the West.
2: I use those public car washes all the time. It's probably one of the most underutilized assets when it comes to (laughs) pressure washing or cleaning up your deer. But I do say, and please guys, if you utilize a public car wash, remember that little Betsy Sue and Billy Allen are in the car behind you with their family and they just got done with Sunday brunch from church and everything that's glorious. Do your best to clean up the car wash after you're done. Not everybody's a hunter and not everybody's as active in the outdoors as we are. And they don't take kind to a jawbone sitting on the ground or an eyeball laying in the gutter or worse brain matter on their windshield. So do your best to be courteous because uh, there's some people that are a little frustrated by it. So it's also kind of fun too, though. You get some really dirty looks.
3: What's really funny. You leave a little bit of blood behind you at the scene. So it looks like a total murder scene. Like you're cleaning out your car. You had somebody stuffed in your trunk, you know, and you had to clean it up on your way out of town. So um, no, but it's important, Caleb clean up when you're done. Cause it is, there's no doubt you guys that, um, this process it it's a messy process and it can be at times, um, but uh, to hit on what you were hit talking about Carter um, as far as burying um, skulls that's that's a method that's been used for a long time. Um, one of uh, the guys that I've learned so much from over the years uh, his name's Ryan Olson he's with White Bone Creations on YouTube. I suggest that anybody who's interested in this process to go onto YouTube and go check him out. Um, and he's got videos of every single animal you can think of. Um, and his process, he's got a smooth, calming voice. Uh, he puts music to the, to the power washing scenes and everything. It's a total, um, compilation of European mounts. And then when he's done, um, they just look immaculate. So my goal is always to try to try to get to that point, which is, uh, it's tough to do, you know, it is tough to do, but, um, just the other week, uh, uh, White Bone posted uh, um, basically a list of different processes that you can do um, on these European mounts, and obviously the boil is one. Um, people uh, also use beetles. For those of you that don't know, um, they're they're called Dermestids. Um, that's the type of beetle they use. It's not my my process, but for for certain taxidermists and stuff that have that have the ability, they can just throw a skull in there, and within a matter of a couple of days, those beetles will eat all that meat and leave a nice clean skull essentially without the risk of etching or over boiling or any of those, um, um, possibilities that are certainly, um, part of the boiling, which is what you need to be, be cognizant of. Um, another process is maceration, which we hit on, or which I mentioned earlier. And what I, and, and I've, I've toyed around with that a little bit. I, uh, went out on a uh, veteran hunt with California waterfowl association And we shot a a ton of snow geese. And so I saved all these snow geese heads um, and did a kind of a a big batch of them. And what I did, and I I was like, oh, maybe I'll try some maceration um, on this thing and see if it, see if I can make it work. And what guys do with maceration is they take either small buckets or big buckets of water and just soak those skulls for a long period of time. Um, It is a nasty process. It stinks. Like I mentioned, the bacteria is there working and doing its thing. Um, and then the guys change their water, drain their tanks every couple of days, and then leave a little bit of water in there. Uh, so some of that bacteria remains, then they put fresh water in and it's just a process that goes over time. And then before you know it, at least from my experience with these geese, I only made it, I think I made it about a week. Um, and it just stunk to high heaven. Um, and I just didn't want to just get into like, uh, switching out the water all the time. Um, another thing that they do is they keep, they take these aquarium heaters and they drop them in the tank to keep it to temperature. And just over time, it just heats and heats all that meat up and, and, and it makes the cleaning process really easy. Um, from my experience, what I, what I saw is when I pulled those goose skulls out, I, there was, um, the, the meat and there's a little morbid, but the meat kind of liquefied and it just kind of fell right off the skulls, and um, and and that made me happy <laughs> uh, because whenever you're um, doing a European mount on on a bird, they have really fine bones, um, they're they're fragile, and you got to be really careful with them. And so once once so I'll probably do that from now on with these bird skulls. I used a fan setting on my uh, on my power washer, and it just it took everything off really quick, really easy. Nothing powerful on them. Um, and, uh, and it worked great. But that, that's a form of maceration, something I'm not, um, super experienced with to the point that a lot of other guys are. Um, I'm kind of more of a boil kind of guy, but, um, there's a lot of options on, on how to start these European mounts. Guys bury, um, they bury them in the ground, they put them in anthills. Um, and, uh, I was actually surprised by, um, this next one, guys are actually using, not on an antlered animal, but let's say you had a coyote skull or a raccoon or something like that, but they're putting them in crab traps and dropping them down in the water, uh, allowing, you know, fish and who knows what else is down there just to eat away at all that meat over time and probably check on them every couple of days. It's just a big, probably a larger form of maceration in a, in a lake or in a pond or something. I thought that was pretty cool. And then he even brought up a piranha dip which I've never, ever heard of. I'd love to watch it. Uh, Probably just dip in a skull in in a piranha tank and letting the the piranhas go to town on it. It'd be really fun to watch that.
2: Well, I do plan on killing an animal or two this year. So I'll go ahead and set up the 200-gallon piranha tank here at the house. And we could do a live stream on it if you guys want. Sounds kind of fun.
0: We'll put it on the HLE credit card. Oh, done. Yeah, too easy. Wait, I have one of those? No, just don't I'm tell actually YouTube in
2: that right now. <laughs> <laughs> or is that the one that says my name on it and then just go ahead and buy everything. Right. That's
3: right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and another thing, you know, on YouTube guys, check out those beetle videos because those are really fun. Those guys do time-lapse videos with the Beatles, And uh, it's kind of cool to see those things work their magic and, um, and, uh, just take on a skull over time. And I can see how, how, uh, appealing that is for, for certain people. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, guys. There's a lot of ways to go about doing it, but tonight we're really going to focus on the boil, the boiling method. It's the way that I've kind of always done it. Um, well, when I first started, um, I did a form of maceration. It was really gross. We, I would soak a a buck in a five gallon bucket for a long period of time. As little, I, I I didn't do a lot of research on it. I would add water as it evaporated, and it was disgusting. Um, then, um, I'd get out there and just power wash it and it was nasty. I don't think I removed any eyeballs. I didn't remove hardly any meat. It was so gross. Um, but, uh, so obviously I have perfected that craft a little bit. Um, and, uh, with the boil, uh, it just works great. It's something you can do really quickly. You know, if you guys have a day, you can do a skull in a day if you want. Um, if you have all the proper tools and equipment ready to go, um, but, uh, a key part to getting started is making sure that you have everything you need. Okay. You're going to need a burner, something that you can boil water in. You're going to need some, some pots, galvanized pots, um, and, uh, and, uh, a couple other ingredients that we'll talk about, um, for the boil and for the coloring boil, because there's going to be two boils, one, an initial boil to get the majority of the meat off. And then a secondary boil to whiten the skull.
0: Pro tip on uh, getting big pots to boil skulls in, go to your local thrift store um, and you can find some big lobster pots or big baking pots that people have left behind that have been or, you know, half of a, you know, old school canning <clears throat> apparatus that like my granddad would use. Um, you can get those for real, real cheap, like a couple bucks, um, pick them up. And that's, that's what I use instead of going buy a brand new one at the, uh, at the store.
3: Yeah, definitely. Those pots, uh, you know, I've picked up pots at garage sales. I've looked on Facebook marketplace for pots. Uh, and, uh, out here, you know, I've, i bought a couple kind of deeper pots out at like tractor supply, but you can find them. And, uh, you know, depending on the type of animal, uh, you know, you might need a, a bigger one for a big bowl. You're going to need something long. Um, I think I use like a 10 gallon, uh, kind of pot that that's kind of elongated a little bit to get that skull to sit in. And then at times I'll have to, uh, take some bungee cords and, and tie the antlers down to the handles just to hold it down underneath. So it remains submerged because a, a key part of, uh, once you do get a skull into a boil, um, you know, uh, there's still a lot of cavities inside that skull that are going to want to keep air inside of them. So the goal is to get all the air out you can. So it remains submerged throughout the entire boil.
2: One thing too, to keep in mind when we're talking about pots and your, your boiling apparatus and what you're really using, uh, pay attention to what's in that, in that barrel or in that bucket or whatever it might be that you're using to boil. Sometimes there might be residual rust, there might be stains, anything like that could potentially change the color of your animal from experience. You know, I use a big 25 gallon steel drum that I cut in half and wasn't paying attention one year. And there's a little bit of rust from the year before I went to do my color boil. I didn't clean it out. Next thing you know, I've got a rust colored skull. (laughs) So pay attention to what you're, what you're doing, what you're using and and clean it out a little bit, take a little bit of care up front and you'll have a better clean looking skull at the end.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree. Something similar happened to me. I had a pot that kind of just over time rusted on the bottom and I was doing a boil and I kind of saw a a brownish tinge kind of collecting on the surface. And um, I kind of knew immediately what it, what it probably was. And that was the last boil that pot saw. So, um, you know, you're spending so much time and effort into it. You really just want to make sure that, um, your, the, the pots, your equipment you're using are, is good. Um, I'm probably ready for an upgrade on my burner. I just use like a two burner camp chef, really basic. It takes, it takes a little bit of time, uh, to bring these big pots to, to temperature. Um, but the, it works for me. If I can do it, you can do it. Um, there's guys, um, that are using a uh, Bayou burners, which are just hyper, hyper torches, you know, that can really bring something to a boil real fast. They use them for, um, for their, uh, crawdad boils and everything else that they boil down there and jambalaya, I guess maybe is a thing that they do down there. But, um, but those, uh, Bayou burners are something that are, that's definitely, uh, could be a, a an awesome piece of equipment to have if you get serious about this.
1: So here's a weird question for someone that's never boiled before. Um, Would you say like, is it like something like a pulled pork or something like low and slow is better or high and fast is better?
3: That's a, that's a, uh, that's a good question. Um, I'll tell you that um, every skull is different depending on the size of skull. Um, My, my, uh, my burner brings things up. Like I said, to temperature kind of slowly. Um, I would say, Low and slow to begin with, you know, but the key, like, you know, I honestly, it probably doesn't matter too much as time, uh, as you're, as you're boiling, but what's most important is when you pull it out. And so you could do something low and slow or fast and probably come up with a similar result. But once, um, the tissue splits on the skull, uh, that means it's time to pull it out. Um, and so that is like your key indicator on when you're done with that initial boil. Now, before you even get going on that initial boil, you're going to want to prep the face and prep the skull itself. Um, part of that is skinning, obviously. Um, what I do is I just kind of run a, a a straight line right down the snout and kind of work each side down until it's totally, um, skinned. And then the key is also to remove as much meat and tissue as possible before you get going. Um, you can take the eyeballs out. Um, there's a little, uh, kind of a trick to getting those out easily um, that I was just taught last year. There's a little um, kind of separation between the, like the orbital bone and, and uh, the skull where you can actually get a knife inside and kind of sever all that connective tissue behind the eyeball. And um, with a little twist that the eyeball comes right out. Um, So it was a kind of a cool tip that these guys taught me last year. Um, The lower jaw, you know, we all have that V shape on our lower jaw you run your knife up and down that lower jaw and remove the tongue and remove all that kind of internal, um, meat. Now, obviously for deer and elk, I love, you know, you, for me personally, the, the deer and the elk with a lower jaw, they look a little bit scary to me. Um, and so I don't really, I don't, I'm, I don't really like having a lower jaw on them. I mean, I'm looking at your guys' mounts. I mean, there's no lower jaw on them and standard is probably no lower jaw, but for other animals like hogs and raccoons and coyotes and, um, and even like, you know, waterfowl, uh, having that lower jaw on there, on, on there really, uh, kind of brings everything together. makes it really look like an animal. And, um, and so, uh, the key, just keep cut as much meat off as you can before you get going. And, um, and when you're skinning, I'm just going to go back when you're skinning that hide off the face, make sure similar to when you're in the field, um, make sure you're cutting towards a hide. Uh, it's really easy, especially on the face, to kind of let your knife run a little bit crazy. And you can score the bone. Um, I've done I've done some skulls for other guys before that, you know, they skin the face. And then w- when they're done, um, you know, I can see little lines. I can see their knife marks on them. Um, so it's totally possible to do that. So, um, you know, no skull is perfect. So, you know, but do your best to try to maintain that. So cut towards a hide. And uh, try to maintain and not not score that skull as, if you can.
2: You know, talking about that too, one thing you guys are probably going to struggle with when you're getting this set up and removing as most hide as possible are the, the pedicles around a deer or an elk, any animal really for that matter, right? Those pedicles are always a pain in the butt because it's super thin hide. It's on there like glue and it does not ever want to come off. So take your best time taking all that hide off. You can get some of it off during the pressure washing process, but then you're going to come into the problem of potentially washing off the bases of your antlers, washing the dirt and everything, so be really careful. I use a screwdriver. Just a flathead screwdriver works great and a pair of pliers. Don't try to use your fingers. It'll just take forever, so grab a pair of pliers and a flathead screwdriver, and in about 10 minutes, you can remove all that hide around those pedicles.
3: Yeah, it's a great tip, Caleb. And I do the same thing. Um, someone told me about the flathead screwdriver, and it's just so easy to grip it with a pair of pliers. Kind of pull it back, and you just kind of pry against that pedicle bone, and and uh, and that hide will come off right around there. Um, you know, it's even hard sometimes to just get your knife get that initial cut along that pedicle. Uh, to get things started. But once you get that going, get your screwdriver in there and work it around. And if you have any other problematic areas on on the skull, you can uh, you can even work on it with the screwdriver as well. Um, it'll help. It'll help for sure.
2: I will say too, though, on that, that rehydration process we talked about a little bit ago has helped tremendously with that. It, uh, it just kind of softens everything up, gets everything a little loosey-goosey and ready to roll and ready to peel. Almost like peeling an apple back. Just not as appetizing or as edible
3: or a banana. No, but, uh, when you, when, when, once you get those pedicles skinned off, um, and you're prepping for the boil, um, another key thing is just protecting your bases. Um, uh, Caleb hit on it and, um, you know, the base of your antlers, there's a lot of, uh, uh, characteristics to those and, and you want to kind of protect those as much as possible. Um, even, I've worked on skulls and even throughout the whole process, you know, even when I'm done, there still might be little hints of, of dirt or a little bit of the moss or something growing on them. And I like to try to maintain that. I think it adds a uniqueness to each skull, but you want to protect those bases. Uh, what I do personally is I just wrap um, some saran wrap, multiple layers of saran wrap, probably go up at least six inches up the, up the antler, uh, protect your eye guards. And then I go over with another secondary layer of electrical tape, and that'll help kind of keep the um, fat and oil and grease from the boil from really getting into uh, onto the antlers itself, because it's not always, you know, it's hard to clean oil off of antlers. So get something, make sure that you protect those bases. Uh, It's super important. And um, and not only that, but once you get to the coloring boil, you're really going to want to make sure that they're protected. Uh, because that, you know, it's a fine line because you have to make sure the skull is completely submerged, but you don't want too much of the, of the antler submerged with it. So, um, you know, you got to find that comfortable, comfortable balance in your boil.
0: Yeah. You only screw that up once, right?
3: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking.
0: And I'm with you. I want, I want the, the cedar shreds from where that buck was, you know, rake in a tree or earlier that day, or I want the, you know, I want the dirt. I want the, I want the character, man.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And there, um, you know, if, if you're going to screw things up every once in a while, I don't think there's any perfect taxidermy out there. Um, everybody's just really good at covering things up and making them look like normal. Um, so we'll hit on some, um, some, some tips on how to kind of, um, recolor, and help take care of those bases in case any of them do get a little bit bleached out from a boil or or whatnot, because um, you can fix a lot um, with these with these European mounts. Um, moving into the boil itself, it's it's basically a degreasing boil. Okay, it's going to be something that's going to um, remove a lot of that meat and flesh. It's also going to pull a lot of oils out. So as you uh, heat up your your boil, um, you know, again, time, temperature, it's all variable. You got to be really aware. What I do is I, I set my phone for 10 minutes. I go out there and I check it. If it's not done yet, I'll set my timer again for another three minutes or five minutes, depending on how close it is. But the key is not to overboil. Okay. Cause you can, um, you can damage the skull. You can etch the skull, which is basically going to remove some of the structural properties of the skull. Um, just from overboiling. Um, it's not the end of the world. Uh, You know, I've, I've etched some, some skulls and, and maybe I notice it more than, than someone else, but, uh, uh, but it's just part of the process and learning how long, uh, to keep something in the boil. But again, once that tissue breaks on, on the head, on the, on the forehead, you're done and it's time to pull it out. But before you get going on the boil, what I do, I have my, my, my bucket, uh, my pot and, uh, fill it up with water. I use one scoop of OxyClean in the boil. Um, so I have a box of OxyClean. I just give it a heaping scoop, put that in with the boil. Um, some people use dish soap, um, and, uh, and, but that's going to help really pull some of those oils out. It's going to help. It's, I I can't say it's going to whiten anything, but it's, it's going to help really clean that skull, uh, to the best of its abilities. And then again, once that skin breaks, pull it out. And, um, once, once I pull something out of a boil, one of the first things I do is I check the teeth. Um, it's something that a lot of people miss and it's something that they'll regret missing once they lose a tooth. Um, but, uh, with all of these animals, it's totally cap- They're all totally capable of losing teeth through the process. So check them, make sure they're tight. Um, if they're not tight, if they they're wiggly and they're wanting to come out, you might as well just pull them out, have a little tin or, or, or a cup with you, keep them all in there. You could still color them. You can still bleach them along the process. You're just going to have to glue them back in when you're done. But check the teeth. Um, You know, I learned the hard way I did. I did a a little raccoon, you know, and he lost almost uh, he lost like three teeth along the process. And then I found myself on hands and knees sifting through the dirt, trying to find a little, you know, half inch raccoon tooth. And uh, and I even I didn't find it the first time. And because of maybe the perfectionist I am, I, I go back out and I look again. I think I looked like four times and never, ever found it. And, um, but check the teeth, uh, they're important. And, um, and if they're loose, save them. Scotty,
2: when you pull those teeth out, like, let's say you have a loose tooth. I've found that if I use a Sharpie, I can actually go on the underside of the skull and the underside of the tooth and mark the tooth where it goes out in the skull. Because sometimes it's a pain in the butt trying to get them back into place. Have you ever had an issue with that or and during the color boiling? Cause you got to think right now, we're talking about the initial boils done. Teeth have fallen out. I'm getting ready to go into the whitening process. Have you found any way that works good for you on keeping those teeth kind of numbered and identified so you know where they go in the head?
3: You know, that's a good question. I, you know, I don't have a labeling system like that necessarily, but every, you know, these, the anatomy of a bone and of ourselves, it's kind of interesting how you can almost every, uh, I guess it would be like, uh, a root like that canal that the that the tooth sits in that seeds in, it's like made for that tooth. And it's kind of easy to tell, like, okay, that's not the right tooth. I, and nowadays with phones, i well it's kind of hard if we're talking about raccoon skulls, but you know, I was I was doing a big bore and he they had they have big long teeth. And uh, but I took some pictures so I can kind of identify okay that 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 one went with this one. But then I also had them um uh, they weren't labeled or anything like that, but okay, that's, this is this pig's skull. This is the other pig's skull. Um, so you really want to keep them separate from other animals. If you're working on multiple skulls at one time, um, as you get proficient with this process, and if it's something you enjoy doing, um, I recommend doing skulls in, in batches if you can, you know, it's a process. It's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing a single deer or a single elk. No problem with that at all. You know, get your practice in when you can. But for me, like I like to I like to save skulls in the freezer uh, as long as I can. Again, we're not talking about deer or elk, but you know, I got I got a pig skull in my freezer right now. I got a squirrel skull, um, but uh, you don't want to know what else is in my freezer. But um, but do it in batches because it's a process. It's 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 cool to do more than one thing at a time. Um, but it, it, there's no doubt if you are doing multiple skulls at once, uh, there's a level of multitasking there that you have to really be aware of um, and and to keep tabs on.
2: I'm actually kind of curious now. What else is in your your freezer? Because at this point, I don't even know if I want to come over for dinner. I'm kind of nervous.
3: Well, you have to come over and check it out. <laughs> we'll leave it as a mystery. No, but uh, you know, uh, uh, as time has progressed, I've you know, I've bought uh, multiple different types of strainers for my boils as well for the smaller bones and even smaller skulls um, that that you can fit little little pieces in and kind of maintain or retain them through the boil. So they're not bouncing around on the bottom of the pot where you're boiling. Um, So, uh, and that all just comes with, with time and, and, um, and just learning the process. Um, But again, okay, skulls done, skin split. Um, You guys are going to need a power washer. Um, Nowadays you can, you can really, I do a lot of my skulls with, with a pretty cheap power washer, you know, maybe a hundred bucks at Home Depot or something. Um, It comes with a, probably four different tips that you can uh, modify the, the amount of pressure and stream coming out. Um and uh and I have a little area in my in my side yard where I do all my blasting and spraying. Um, you know, and so keep your dogs away because it's it's like it's like chow time when it when you after you're done blasting, the dogs, everybody's gonna want to check check it out. My cat comes by comes by for a snack. You know, um there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, uh you're gonna want to blast and when you are spraying those skulls um, you want to get into every single nook and cranny on that skull, spend some time, make sure you're uh, getting inside the brain cavity, making sure that um, you're getting all the tissue, all the meat off. And one of the things that I've, I've learned to do is um, there's an area on the backside of the skull. Um, there's a couple bones. They're called the auditory bulls and what those um, you can, you can really locate them. If you, if you flip the skull around, you can see they're almost loose. Um, and what you can do is I take a flathead screwdriver and a little mallet, give them a couple pounds, and they were literally almost pop out on their own. There's two of them. There's one on each side, left and right. Um, and then I take a, a spade bit, like a five-eighths inch spade bit, and just wallow out those those individual holes. And what that's going to do is that that's going to open up that brain cavity. So when you are blasting, it allows the water to flow out. It allows all that debris that's stuck inside that nasal cavity. To come out and it leaves a nice clean look to the back of it. Nobody's looking on the back of the skull when it's hanging out, hanging up on your wall. But um, as far as the cleaning process to leave and have a nice clean um, end result, there's nothing wrong. Knock those bowls out and um, and wallow them out and then uh, to pull that brain cavity or to pull the brain out. um, It's just it's helped me out a lot in making sure that everything is out once we're done blasting.
0: If all you have to is a flathead screwdriver, those, uh, bulls, is that, is that what you call them? Is that how they're called? Yep, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Those, they, they pop out real easy. Um, you just pop them right out and blast right in there.
1: Man, I really hope no one's like me and listens to this at lunch because I, 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 you might have to put like a disclaimer at the beginning at the last 10 minutes of the guts going everywhere and everything.
0: <laughs> it's not a pleasant process, man. The brain goes everywhere. It goes all over the yard. The dog goes crazy. It's, you know, it's kind of gross. It's kind of gross. Most I love
3: it. Most
2: importantly, it goes all over you. My God, it goes all over you. It's like going to the car wash to wash your truck you hit that one spot in your wheel well that just shoots right back in your mouth, inevitably it's going to happen every freaking time. And if your eyes aren't closed or your mouth's open, it goes in. And it's not okay. It is not okay.
3: Sushi. It's good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Gross. <laughs> 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 yeah,
3: no, it, it can be a dirty process. It's going to fly back. It's going to hit you. You know, when I'm done spraying, um, I, I I put on some, some long bibs and try to stay as dry as I can. I wear my, uh, my, uh, my boots. Um, but I'm soaking wet when I'm done. Uh, if I'm really getting after it and making sure that everything is as clean as possible, but, um, you know, it's nice to do on a, on a nice hot day, but when it's cold outside, um, not so much fun, not as much fun, at least it's always fun, but, um, definitely prepare yourself. You're going to need, you know, a face shield, maybe, uh, um, some safety glasses and some something to keep you dry as much as possible because it's a wet, dirty process to begin with. Um, so, you know, just prepare yourself. If you've never done it before, uh, it's really not. Don't don't listen to these guys. It's not as bad as you think it is.
0: And it's totally worth it. Totally worth it.
3: It really is. It really is. So um, once you get that um, that brain cavity kind of cleaned out, There's this part's again, a little morbid, but that brain sits inside of a, of a sack essentially, and that you're going to get all the brains out, but we need to get that sack out too. And what I've found is, uh, um, I have a couple pairs of uh, hemostats, which are basically really long, kind of almost like medical pliers. Um, and what, what I do is I reach inside there, I grab that sack and give it a couple twists, full twists, and that whole sack will pop out completely, um, almost, uh, intact. Um. So uh, and so, you want to make sure that that brain is out, and then as much of the um, and then make as as much of the the nasal cavity is has like a maze of bones that run through it. Um, it's an easy area to kind of collect debris, and uh, it's where some discoloration will will show up if it's not fully clean, and it'll end up looking like a little bit dark on the forehead, a little bit. But um, uh, you want to make sure that that the, the skull is as clean as you possibly can get it. Um, you know, obviously with, with, uh, with bowls, uh, you want to remove the, the, uh, the bugle teeth, something that's, uh, a cool thing, a good keepsake, good keepsake, excuse me, um, to, to keep. And there's a little bit of luck involved with those as, as I believe, but, uh, you know, there's an easy way to get those bugle teeth out. Um, you can take a two by four and again, a mallet or a hammer, and it sounds a little crazy, but you can put it up against those bugle teeth and give it a couple whacks, not, you know, and, and they'll just literally pop right out. Um, but another thing to try to try to retain through the process.
2: I'll be honest with you. I've never actually used the two by four or anything to remove my, uh, my, my ivories. I actually just leave them in during the boil on an elk, um, because I switch that water out and I keep that water in a kind of an area where I can see what's going on when I empty it. So after you do that boil, they're already loose and they come out just like cake, just pull them right out. And half the time there's not even any meat on them, which is great, but I don't know if that actually would damage them, but I haven't seen an issue with them. They polish up great. I've got some good necklaces and stuff like that, but yeah, I've always left them in.
3: Yeah. And you can totally do that. And you know, that boil, it's gonna, it's gonna expand everything in the skull and you know, those teeth want to come out after a boil anyway. Um, so Uh, definitely just, just retain them. Something to uh, consider. Another thing to consider is the nasal canal. This is something that that's kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe consider it disputed in some of the taxidermy arena, but, um, you know, the nasal canal has some nasal bones. They're spiraled bones essentially that, uh, help filter out and help, help really, uh, increase the, the, uh, the scent ability sense, the, the scent sense, um, of these deer and elk and all these other animals, but, uh, they this nasal canal. Um, a lot of guys will, uh, you have to make a decision. Are you going to keep them or are you going to pull them out? And so I see you guys, you guys have, you guys got a, a bunch of skulls hanging on the walls. So I'd be curious to what you guys think, um, about those nasal cavities, what, you know, it's, it's really an aesthetics question on, now, uh, you know, it's, it's all about looks, you know, do you like the look of it? Other guys pull them out. You know, if you pull them out, you it's going to give you a better, uh, a, a, a better, the, it's going to better your ability to make sure that the skull is overall clean. For me personally, I like leaving them in because I like the look. Um, and I know that I can really clean it. It's not, I can make sure everything's clean enough to, uh, to leave them in. But, um, I'd be curious, what, what do you guys think?
1: So. It's actually funny you say that because ever since you said that I've been looking at every person's house. I go to every store if they have that now and I'm paying that much detail. I'm like, Oh, let me say, and I, I found something interesting. I like oh. them with it in and I think it looks a lot cooler with them in the synthetic mounts actually don't have them in. I have one synthetic skull and it doesn't have that in there. And I'm like, Ooh, look at that. I had to compare it that way. That's just my two cents
3: though. Yeah. I love it. That's good.
0: I agree. I think it looks better. Well, one you can't tell, right? When it's on the wall, you can't tell. It's hard to tell. You're the only person who's gonna know, or Bobby, who's sticking his face up every nasal cavity of every skull he sees.
1: Oh, I know, I know.
0: <laughs> I pull them out. I pull them out with a long pair of uh, needle-nose pliers. I find it's easier to clean them out on the inside. Um, but the one of the, one of the mounts that I have that's yeah, that I'm the most proud of, I have the nasal cavity still in there. Um, I call them the nose cones cause I don't know what else to call them, but they're still in there and it looks right because it's the correct anatomy of a deer. And it makes me feel proud that I did it with everything fully intact. Nobody will ever know that my two year old doesn't know that my wife doesn't know that nobody knows that nobody looks, nobody sticks her face up under there unless Bobby comes over. Um, but I just pull them out from now on. It's, it's, it's just cleaner and faster. Um, but I do, I, I understand where you're coming from.
2: It's definitely a lot cleaner and a lot faster method. And probably, Scotty, what you were going to tell everybody, too, is those hemostats that you're using to clean out that brain sac. Use the same thing to reach in there and clean out some of that nasal cavity because there's going to be a lot of residual tissue. And at the end of the day, that's where you're probably going to end up with the stuff that stinks in your house that you don't pay attention to and you can't understand why your wall smells like rotten eggs. I'm guilty. You know, I don't pay attention to that. Sometimes I leave that nasal cavity in there and I look in it and it's like they... Deer's got a bloody nose from the past 10 years of being punched in the face and it doesn't look pleasant and it doesn't smell good either.
3: Yep. Yep. And the more you do, uh, you know, you, you play around with those options you have. Um, and again, I, I enjoy leaving them in there. I've posted some pictures of them. They just, they, I think it just looks cool. And and nose cones is something I called them too, Carter. Um, and, uh, there's also, uh, a long, piece of cartilage that runs from the tip of the nose all the way back into like the septum area um that whole that whole piece of cartilage needs to come out as much as you can possibly get out um i've looked in i don't know if it's really possible well i would say it's not possible to get it out completely if you're gonna leave the nose cones the nose bones inside Um, but uh through the the color boil, which is the whitening batch that we're, that we do the next step. Um, it's going to remove a lot of the odor, I would say. And it's also going to allow you to remove a lot of those, those fine tissues and ligaments that maybe you didn't come off in that initial degreasing boil. So, uh, again, something to just pay attention to when you're looking at European mounts, um, or when you're doing your own, um, you're going to have decisions to make on what you do. And, uh, that's one of them for sure once you're, uh, and, and again, there's no right or wrong way. It's totally your preference. Once you're done with that degreasing boil itself, um, you need to clean your pot. Okay. That's a very important step that can be overlooked. Um, if you just go straight from the same pot to your whitening batch in the same pot, uh, there's going to be that layer of oil and fat and and grease that kind of collected along the, uh, the outer edge of the surface along your, your, your pot. So you're going to need to get that off. You do not want any oil, residual oil, um, involved in that, that whitening batch. Um, so take some Dawn soap, scrub it with some hot water, even cold water, but scrub it down, make sure it's clean before you move on to the next step. Once you do, once you do get those pots cleaned up, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to move on to whitening, right? My process, the process that I've learned is through boil. But um, what the, what I was doing before I learned how to do the boil is basically my wife's a hairdresser. I would take a uh, 40 volume cream along with uh, a bleach powder, essentially. I'd mix it up into a little hot batch and then uh, just basically paint it onto every surface I can get into um, and you're pretty limited with a paintbrush and a skull, you know, you can get everything on the outside, you can get as much as you can inside that nasal cavity around the orbital bone and, and onto all, all into these little crevices. Um, and then you, I would basically just let it sit overnight. Um, and, uh, and, and I made a lot of nice skulls that way, but it wasn't, um, as let's say professional looking when I was done. Um as I was seeing other places. And, uh, I'm just so, I'm thankful that, that I kind of learned this process on how to, how to do the whitening, the color batch, um, through boiling. And so that process, the, um, the just basically bleaching is there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we're sometimes limited on what we can get. Um, but if you know, a hairdresser, they can totally hook you up with the cream and the, and the mix. And it, it's a, it's a totally fine way to go about doing it, especially in your first couple of schools. Uh, the way I am doing it now is I basically take, I clean my pot. Um, I take a gallon of hydrogen. Well, it's a gallon of liquid uh, developer. It's liquid. It's not cream. Um, so you want the liquid. It's clear. It's 40 volume um, hydrogen with a 12% hydrogen peroxide in it. I take a one gallon and I fill that pot up with it. And then the rest is all water. Um, what I do is I bring, I, I will put the skull in, I'll bring it to a boil. And once it boils, I turn it down to simmer for five minutes. So, um, and then once that five minute 5 minutes is up, I pull it out. I take a real quick look at it, make sure it's good. Make sure we're not over boiling. And then I, I, and then I will go power wash that one last time after the boil. Now, again, it goes without saying that timeframes are all different, depending on the temperature of your water, you know, the size of the animal or the skull itself, um, and uh, and you know what kind of just whatever the temperature is. Um, other tax- there's other methods to whitening too. There's there's taxidermists out there and guys just doing this. They'll, they they could do like a cold soak with a lower percentage of hydrogen peroxide, like your basic three percent hydrogen peroxide they can do a cold soak for a longer duration and come up with really nice skulls. I, th- I think that's how some of the professional guys are doing it. Again, I'm just a basic hobbyist. I'm a family man. You know, I I'm working full time. I'm lucky to have a day to tell my wife, Hey, uh, I'm going to work up. A, I'm, a, I'm going to boil today, you know, and uh, but I'm lucky to just squeeze a day out of it if I can. Um, so other guys have longer, you know, it's their job, it's their profession. So that they have really effective methods on how to, how to whiten. Um, but, uh, with that boil, you know, again, it's, it's pretty quick. It's not in the boil for very long, you know, maybe five minutes and I check it out, you know, um, and I've pulled skulls out maybe a little too soon out of fear that they're going to start etching, but you do need to be aware of, you know, um, there's some bones there on the nose that they're starting to get too loose. Um, or if you're starting to see some etching, it's called etching. You can etch your skulls if you overboil them, like we talked about. Um, If you see that, you pull it out and and you're done. You're done at that point. And you're going to need to pull it out and you're going to do one last power wash on that skull. And all of those fine uh, tendons or not tendons, but ligaments and tissue that didn't come off on that initial boil, they're going to kind of yellow up and they'll come off super easy on the secondary uh, power wash.
2: And I think that's one thing, Scott, can you kind of give us an idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about overboiling and etching, because when I'm looking at like a deer skull and, you know, I pulled one of these off the wall just to kind of take a look at it because I've been known to over boil once or twice. I don't pay attention to time sometimes, and you know, occasionally I'm doing something else that's more fun. And uh, I've noticed like when I overboil or I cook something a little too long on these, that V that's right in the middle of the skull, that's where you start to see that and uh, bring that up there. But you can see how every skull has got that V line here. And comes across in the anatomy. When I overboil, that's where I start to see the first separation is right there in that skull plate running right down the nose and then in and across the nose bones. Is that kind of typical of what you see and what you're talking about with etching?
3: Yeah, well, with etching, um, well, there's no doubt that overboiling will do that. It'll cause that skull to want to completely separate. Um and depending on how old that animal is um i've done a couple raccoon skulls where i did a really young rac- raccoon he was you know the teeth were really small and and actually what was really cool about this skull is um after the after i started washing and i washed his lower jaw you could see the adult teeth coming up and pushing the baby teeth out and they all remained intact and stuff it was super cool um, but even that skull since he was so young um the it hadn't uh the skull itself hadn't kind of uh, molded together quite yet and then I did an older raccoon and it was totally smooth everything was tight and it held together so um could be that maybe he would you know that the buck you had Caleb is a nice deer right there um, so he's you know had to be I don't know, four and a half, five and a half years old, maybe. I don't know. but uh, So plenty old buck. But uh, um, as far as etching, when I refer to etching, you see it in the bone itself. It's almost like the bone kind of pocks a little bit and it loses some of its structural density, I would say. Um, And instead of being smooth at the end, it kind of almost looks like uh, a little bit spongy. I'll say almost that, like a porous look to it. Yeah, exactly. Porous. Absolutely. Okay. That's exactly what it is. And so, uh, you just start to lose some of, some of that integrity in the bone itself. Uh, but that, that key area that you were talking about and, um, there along the bone, along the, uh, the nasal bone. And then even, uh, there's a couple bones that stick out that come out on the bottom. Um, Man, I wish I knew exactly what they are called. I can grab my book, but um, there's a couple bones that really want to come out. They kind of cover the the front sides of the uh, the nose itself, and those bones really—they always want to come out. Um, so that's it's just key. If you pull it out of the boil, they won't come out. Um, but if they do come out again, guys, it's not the end of the world. I mean, you can still bleach them, and then once they're bleached, you know, dry fit them and glue them back in. It's as easy as that. But, uh, the key is to, um, just don't overboil them, but then retain them and keep track of them. And because these bones are really fragile at this point, you don't want them to break and you want them to be able to fit back together when you're done. Uh, so obviously there's more ways, there's more than one way to, to go about all of this, but to color your, to color the skulls, um, do what, do what, you know, um, what you practice, and then, uh, you can try a couple of these, uh, different methods on, um, on, on how to, how to color these, uh, once you get all that final wash down, go set it out in the sun. Hopefully, you know, if you have sun available that day, lay them out in the sun and, uh, let them dry out. Um, my, myself, you know, like I said, I'm busy. There've been times where I've just been so excited to get out there and do a boil, um, that I'll be out there working at night and it's not ideal, But what, if you do find yourself out there working at night, not a lot of sun to help kind of brighten things up, um, I recommend doing the, the whitening process during the day. If, if you can, it's not, again, it's not the end of the world if you don't, but what I would do is, um, if you, if you do that degreasing boil, that initial boil first and it's nighttime and things are getting late, um, once you're done and you power wash everything before you get to that whitening, um, stage, um. Put it back in water. So we talked about it earlier. Keep that skull hydrated until you're totally done with the process. So there's nothing wrong with just like, hey, we're done for the night. Put it in a five-gallon bucket, submerge it, let it sit there overnight. It's going to keep that bone healthy and um and hydrated for the next step. So um there's nothing wrong with that. But once you get that uh, you know, once you everything's clean, it's sitting out in the sun, let it dry um, for you know, a couple hours out there, uh, or a day. Um, and, uh, the, there's one final step, which is something again, that I learned from, uh, from white bone creations. And that is the mop and glow. Uh, I, what I do is I take a, a single coat of mop and glow and I just, I just brush it on one coat over the entire skull Um, and what that, the bone kind of absorbs it, it leaves a nice matte kind of finish on it, um, without spraying it with anything. Um, it even makes the skull smell good, which I like because I've, I've given skulls to people and they're like, oh man, this actually smells actually good. Um, and I just love the look that it, that it gives, um, kind of help. It helps brighten things up a little bit and, and, and it just leaves a really nice kind of professional look to it. Um, and even to the touch, it feels really, you know, you can tell that it's, that it's uh, been done properly and, and it's, and it's smooth and it has a little, um, sheen to it. You can do two coats, but you might end up with more of a sheen than you're looking for. You don't want, you don't necessarily want your skull. You want it to look like bone, you know, and, uh, and just a light coat over it, let it sit and you're good to go.
2: I can picture Bobby now showing up to somebody's house. Is that,
3: is that
0: mop and glow? Is that what that <laughs> is good? that's Give a really it a nice sniff. nose
2: cone
3: oh, i sniffed it out I already i already got that tone <laughs> <laughs> yeah bobby's gonna be a professional when when we're all done with this we'll make sure of that you know what's funny is i was looking at my mounts and like every time you talk about it i'm like oh let me look at
1: my mount see that and then i went upstairs and i noticed as we jokingly said something about buying mounts from home goods there is a Ram head upstairs. And apparently my (laughs) wife paid $75 for this fake plastic Ram mount. And I cannot believe this right now. So
0: unreal. And the nasal cavity is not even in there. What is this? Oh my gosh. The, the outrage. (laughs) I I have a question for you, Scotty. Can I, so Mapa glows, that's a new hot tip for me. Um, Can I go and retroactively add that back to mounts I've already done to get that, shine and the smell for Bobby. Yeah, exactly. So you can,
3: yes, you can totally do that. And once I learned this process, I I went back to a lot of the skulls that I've done in the past that I've just even, um, uh, did the whole painting bleach process on. And I'm like, I'm going to redo these, you know? And so what I did is when I had that, that uh, whitening boil going, and I was done with that first one. I threw them back in while well, I protected the bases, kind of went back through that process. And again, they're only sitting in there for five, 10 minutes maybe. It's it's not a very long whitening process, but I dropped them back in and and re, kind of rebrought them back to life. They whitened right back up and then I let them out in the sun and then put that layer of mop and glow on them and they look just like new. So it's totally something that you can go and kind of refurbish other skulls you've done. Um, I did a skull for my brother years ago and, and it just kind of started to kind of change color a little bit because I was using a different process. And so I took it off as a wall and I, and I redid it for him. And, uh, and, uh, and again, um, another process that, that we haven't hit on is how do we touch up antlers, right? How do we touch up the antlers if, if they're maybe, maybe they dipped in the bleach a little bit too much or, um or whatnot but um what i use is a is there's a lot of methods to do it but uh, when i first started i read online that you can use coffee grounds as a coloring for those antlers um and and i did that and it, it worked to an extent but it wasn't it wasn't perfect but you know again most people aren't going to notice the imperfections that you might notice if you get into this um, but what i found is there's a a, a product it's a minwax a wood stain uh, it's called provincial, and it's just got this perfect color match to what a deer or an elk antler looks like. And um, so, once you have bleached everything, it's sat in the sun, um, and maybe even before you go, you know, I I wait to use the mop and glow for the very end. So we little bit kind of I kind of jumped over that. But before I even do the mop and glow, I flip those antlers upside down, okay? Because you really want to protect your skull at this point. You've invested a lot of time and energy and making sure it stays clean. And now you're about to take some wood stain to it. So the key here is protect that white skull, flip it upside down in case any of that, that, um, that wood stain wants to run on you, um, flip upside down. And I just literally take a Q-tip and I just dab it. I just dab those bases, The anything that kind of whitened through the process, I dab it and, and, um, and, and I did a, a, a big bowl for a guy he shot in Montana. It looked like it like was sitting in the bed of his truck cross country and just rubbed these little flat marks in the back of, uh, the skull there. And so I just put a couple coats of that, um, that, that, uh, provincial wood stain on it and covered it right up. You couldn't even notice. And, um, so it's just, you know, you can, you, there are products out there that you can use to help bring those antlers back to life. And, uh, and for those of you that want to practice, um, I see a lot of people are out shed hunting right now. I wish that was something I can do out here. Um, you know, bring those sheds and, and find one that you can play with, you know, and, um, you know, you can use some wood filler if they're, if they're old chalky antlers, you can use some wood filler and kind of practice, you know, kind of filling them in and bring some of that integrity back to the, to the bone itself, to the antler. And then, uh, and then go, go get some of that, that provincial, um, uh, wood stain and 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 check it out yourself you're going to be amazed at what it looks like
2: absolutely love that tip man it's a it's something that i've tried to perfect over the past years because i've got a lot of older deer that i've killed throughout life and i've got a lot of old sheds and stuff like that i actually took a mule deer shed that i found two years ago the other day made a floating shelf here for my office and i did the same thing right i use wood stain for everything and then i'll do a lacquer over to kind of protect it depending on what kind of look i'm going for you know let's say you find a mule deer or a deer or an elk in general during the middle of the rut and they've been rubbing and they're shiny and they're nice and bright and good dark colored and get a little bit of shine to them. I use a lacquer, but uh like this one right here. This deer was actually a really white antler. He'd been hanging out in a lot of uh, Aspen. So I used more of a natural lighter stain on it. And this deer antler is almost 13 years old now from a buck that I killed and it still holds his color. Great. I mean, there's such, so many different products out there that we can use to, to kind of retouch up antlers and, and make them look good. So, don't hesitate. Play with them. I would play with on a shed first, though. Definitely.
3: Yeah, it's a great it's a great uh, learning tool for anybody that was able that's able to to do that to just practice on and um and uh, and touch up because um you know again there's no perfect taxidermy out there these you know we're all just good at kind of covering things up and making things look nice um, so once you get everything cleaned up and the antlers are dry um, I also I use a clear matte kind of a, it's an, uh, spray kind of clear matte acrylic that I spray on the antlers itself. Um, I know that, um, guys also use that mop and glow. Like if you shoot like a Ram, something that might have a little bit of a more shiny, um, texture to it, you can put them on antlers as well. Um, I haven't tried that quite yet because I just got, you know, I don't really want, and I can't say it's going to be super shiny, but, um, the way it looks on a bone might be a different than the way it looks on an antler. So I kind of go with more of a matte kind of clear enamel, um, on the yeah. antlers. I do spray them to, just to add, keep some protection, hopefully help maintain some color to them. Um, and then it's also about feel too. I talked about how the mop Glow feels on the skull. Um, it just feels finished and the same thing on an antler. Um, if they're, you, know, you can have a natural, you can not do anything to them too. And that's totally fine. Um, but I'm just kind of toying around, finding what, what looks the best. And I found that that, you know, when I give somebody a rack and you know, they hold it and they can, they can just feel that, Hey, this is a finished product. This is uh, something that's going to last forever, you know? And so I love seeing pictures of them hanging on their wall and just knowing that, Hey, that that's going to kind of withstand Withstand some time up there, and uh, and and a lot of people are going to get a lot of enjoyment just by looking at it. So, along the lines, uh, since we're talking about taxidermy, uh, we talked a lot about European mounts and the process. You know, there's other things that that we can do uh, that I like to do. I should say uh, along the lines of taxidermy, like I, I will, you know, I'll cut the hooves off of my my deer. I'll take them, and I will. Um, either take a big long zip tie or some twine or some rope and kind of just you know when they're fresh and still moving around um, and just bend them, tie them in a nice tight so it's not going to come off around the uh, the bone joint there. And then just let them set. You could use a little bit of salt, but I, I really don't use a whole lot of salt on those. But I'll just put them up so they don't start stinking. But uh, and then just let that set. And once that kind of rigor mortis sets in, um, you can take them off. And those things are going to be stiff. As a rock, and you can uh, just collect them if you want. Guys make gun racks and hat racks out of them. Uh, if you go down in my garage, I've got a whole well. I got a handful of some blacktail and some mule deer, um, and some elk uh, hooves that are all kind of L-shaped and ready to go for for whenever I find time to to take on another project.
2: I think that's probably one of the most fun parts about doing all this stuff yourself is you find all these unique things to do. And I mean, there's somebody in Aspen, Colorado, that's going to pay $500 for some deer legs on a wall because they're a coat hanger that came from I don't know a Sitka blacktail deer off the New Wales Island or something that <laughs> who knows. But I think that's kind of one of the cool parts. Is guys, we're we're talking about not only saving ourselves money, but we're also talking about literally start to finish doing everything ourselves from the hunt to the kill to the processing to what's hanging on our wall. Talk about something to be proud of right there. Um, You know, I'm sitting around here and I'm kind of looking at stuff. And Scott, you're talking about these different ideas for taxidermy. That bull right there behind me is going to cost me a little over two grand when it's all said and done, because he's going to be a shoulder mount. Before I've ever sent him off to the taxidermist, I took care of it and I did the euro mount for under a hundred bucks. So guys, you're literally learning how to save yourselves money and then carry our hunts on and do other things with that money that we might actually need it for. So it's kind of cool.
3: It really is cool. And, and, you know, very similar, you know, when I was, I was doing this on my own and I went out to Colorado, I shot a really nice buck one year and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to have it professionally done, you know, by, by someone this time. And, um, and I did that and I got it back. I paid probably 350 bucks for this European mount and I got it back and I'm like, uh, really like the guy painted it. Um, and it just wasn't. It wasn't up to my standards necessarily. I mean, it still looked good to any normal person, but just because I know how to do it and because of the perfectionist inside me, I'm like, oh man, I could totally do a better job than that. And so that's what got me going, you know, save a little dough and, and also just investing your time and your energy. You know, we all invest a lot of money and, and in, in hunting itself, whether it's, you know, buying tags or travel or um or butcher costs and all that stuff so the the costs add up really quickly and if you can learn to do this it could totally be something you you teach your kids how to do or your or your your siblings or your friends or just help your buddies out um if you really develop a passion for it 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 it's a great hobby i love it because it just it just brings a level of respect to the animal you know that helps these animals you know live forever essentially you know how how would that bull end up in your living room You know, Caleb, uh, and, and so without you putting time and effort and making sure that it, you know, was cleaned and taken care of. And, um, it's, it's an awesome, it's an awesome skill to have. Yeah,
0: dude. I got into it when I got smoked by a taxidermist in Wyoming, when I got my first antelope, it was like $330 to get it all said and done for a Euro mount. And when I, that was without shipping. Once I shipped it back to my house for 54 bucks, I got it to my house and I was like, holy shit, dude. I can do this. I guarantee it. And I started getting on YouTube and starting getting on the, on the web. And I was like, I I actually can do this. I can do this for, you know, about 12 bucks. I can can do this for exponentially cheaper. Um, so the practical application is, is there for sure. And then exactly what you're talking about, Scotty is, you know, I used to stray away from the term trophy and, and, and trophy hunting, but like you know it's something to be proud of and it's something to remember a hunt and it's something you know it's a conversation starter and for the rest of my life i will have that on my wall to have that conversation with whoever comes into my house and is in is inter- interested in that kind of stuff and you know every bobby that comes and is looking for nose cones man every single person who wants to have that conversation it's there and that's you know that that ties into what you're talking about Caleb with you know, honoring the kill and remembering the hunt and everything that ties in after the kill. You
2: know, I think that's, it's just like we've talked about on some of these other podcasts, it's bringing it 100% full circle. It was you that did it Um, and diving right into that. I know there's a lot of people out there that have different methods and things like that and ways of honoring the animal. Um, We're talking a little bit here about saving ourselves some money. So, like that bull right here behind me. Yes. He's going to go to the taxidermist. Yes. He's getting a full shoulder mount. Yes, it's going to be expensive. Hunt of a lifetime for me. Great. But by learning how to do this euro process myself, I've been able to keep that bull on my wall for 365 days until the hide's tanned and my shoulder mount is actually in the taxidermist shop. Right. Don't get me wrong. Most taxidermists aren't going to screw you over, try to hurt you, whatever it may be. But that bull can be showed off and I can talk about them until it's done. And who knows, maybe I'll even get done. And I'll be like, you know what? I don't even care. Take the hide. But uh, I've done all the process and I've done it right to here. The other thing, I like to take notes and little stories from the hunts and I'll actually shove them into the backside of the brain cavity. So that way, you know, if somebody 100 years from now picks up this elk hole and they shake it around, they're like, oh, what is that on the inside? It's like a message in the bottle. It's a, It's kind of a cool thing. And the only other thing that I really love about Euros, and I know we haven't talked about this because nobody's got really any wicked wild and crazy looking ones. I'm going to pull one up here real quick. If you did not do a euro by yourself, you would never see broken, messed up pedicles hmm. that are just wicked. This bull's like a unicorn.
3: Describe, but, uh, uh,
0: describe to the listeners what you're, what you're showing. Yeah, Caleb. it's not video. So
2: right here, guys, what I've got is a not a triple beam bull, but he's got a really broken side on one, and what happened is his pedicle right here at the base of his antler was broken in half and actually laid forward. So his right side, or I should say his left side, my right side, is perfect. Erect, looks good, but you can see his front side comes out like a unicorn. If I was to take this to a taxidermist, I wouldn't see this. I would never know that he broke half of his head off and somehow survived and kept fighting and lived. (laughs) That's one thing I love about euros: the scars, the... The trash you see, the destroyed animal, it's cool.
3: That bull is something else right there, Caleb. That thing is crazy looking.
2: I uh, Believe it or not, don't get me wrong, I'm not disappointed in that bull. But when I first glassed him up, I thought he was a true triple beam. Hmm. I freaked out. I thought he was a true triple beam. I spent everything I could trying to get my dad on him, and I finally got him on him. And uh, when we walked up to him, I'm like, okay. So he's not a triple beam. He's just got a three-foot-long third that grows randomly in the middle of his normal beam because he was dumb and broke his head. He's so cool.
3: (laughs) It really is. That is, that is amazing. And you know, these, you know, as you go on, you'll, you'll start, you know, you'll see some different parts of the anatomy, you know, that maybe you didn't even know existed. You, you, you know, I've seen pictures of, you know, different animals with bone deformities and stuff that's underneath the skull that you don't even see. Um, Some of that is due to, human contact i would say um animals get into fertilizers and and nasty stuff chemicals that you know ends up eating away at their bone at times but um you know it, it it's 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 just so cool to just kind of get in there and 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 see what's underneath it all right and uh, uncover it all but these pieces they're they're really really just you know they're legacy pieces that will be passed on and on by your uh, uh probably to you and to maybe your kids or family members, but you know, some, there's always a story to tell behind every, um, skull. I was just at a job the other day. I was in this lady's garage and, and I saw something out of the corner of my, eye. Turn and look and she had the, I mean, it was, it was a very large mule deer that was shot here in California. He had spike bases that were probably, you know, I could probably fit almost my, my two hands around it. I mean, it was huge. I, I, <laughs> I told her what I did and I said, I, I can make that look really nice, you know, and it has split at the top and, and, uh, I tried to get her to kind of let me go home with it, but it didn't really work out. And, uh, and then I, I, was like, I don't know, man, I'll buy that from you. Maybe even I was willing to buy it from her. That's how cool it was. But, um, but you know, it's just so fun to kind of work on these and, and, um, because they do, they last a lifetime if they're preserved properly. And, um, and if you take the time to kind of learn the process, um, you know, you, can't go wrong. And, um, and I'm, I'm here for anybody. If anybody has any questions about the process, I'm happy to, uh, to help answer whatever questions I can. I know, uh, Bobby and I have talked, you know, we talked about those hooves. Bobby just shot a big turkey last weekend. Um, one of the fun things I did with the turkeys that I shot is I, um uh, I, I, I cut the, cut the feet off, you know, at that, that, that first joint. Um, and I put some downward pressure on them, like I put up like a pot on top of them. And so yeah, downward pressure helped kind of spread out the webbing on the foot. And I kind of just let them sit there for a month, maybe two. And I check on them periodically, make sure nothing tipped over, put some weight down on them. So they just kind of stayed sprawled out by the time that rigor set in, I pulled them out. Now I've got two perfect Turkey legs that'll sit completely upright on a desk yeah, I, I still don't know what I'm gonna do with them, but they're they're super cool. And so, um, once you get going with this kind of stuff, you know, you can. There's a lot of fun to be had.
2: So I know I gave you the suggestion of turning those into a, a desktop pin. Completely changed my mind yesterday. Salt and pepper shakers. Salt and pepper shakers is the way to go.
3: Yeah, it's uh you know that's a good idea, and and it's totally possible you could do that. But I honestly, if you knew my wife, um, yeah, I don't know if that's gonna fly.
0: I love that, man. This has been uh a phenomenal conversation, Scotty. I truly appreciate it, man. I've been looking forward to this one for for a long time. We're uh knocking on an hour and a half here, boys. So maybe let's go around the horn and if anybody has any closing thoughts, let's round this one out. Caleb, what are you thinking, man?
2: You know, it's kind of a it's kind of phenomenal the the conversations that we have here. They're so candid and they're so calm, relaxed and banter back and forth. And we learn so much about the stuff that we're doing and ways of how we're doing it and what we could do better or different methods. And and really when you sit back and try to take it all in, it's a little overwhelming at first. I uh, I definitely suggest everybody stops for a second, thinks about the things that we're talking about, but try them. Don't let it be overwhelming. It's, it's not that difficult. It's nothing new. These things have been around and these methods have been around for years and decades and centuries well thousands and thousands of years so don't hesitate try it and there's a wealth of knowledge out there there's so many resources and everybody here on our podcast and part of the team will all willingly sit down and talk with anybody about it i uh i definitely would say guys don't hesitate to reach out and and spend a little bit of time and try it just try it worst thing that's going to happen is it's not quite white we can fix that with compound 40
0: that's right. That's right, man. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree 100%, 100%. Give it a try, man. Try something new. It's always worth it. Bobby, what are you thinking, man? I
3: think Bobby's frozen.
0: Bobby's frozen. Bobby is Bobby's frozen.
2: in deep thought. That's what yeah, we're going to say. Bobby is in deep thought. This deep is a thought. really good comment that he's going to say.
0: <laughs> Very deep thought. Scotty, why don't you round
3: us out, man? Absolutely. You know, just along those lines of what Caleb said about, you know, just getting out there and trying. So don't, you know, don't be afraid to try something new. Um, and, uh, you know, my tip ask questions, you know, reach out to people that, that know what they're doing, um, get some good answers and, 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 and then go for it. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get anywhere if you don't just, you know, jump off the deep end. And that's essentially what we're doing here. Just, just go for it. And for anybody that has a passion for hunting, for being out outdoors, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really cool, uh, skill set to have. Uh, you can show your friends. I mean, I got tons of dead stuff in my garage. You know, I, I save as much as I can. My daughter has her girlfriends over to come hang out and I'm always playing with something dead in the backyard or spraying something off and grossing everybody out. But, um, I can only imagine what these girls are going home, telling their parents when they come over to to Scotty's house. But, uh, um, but just, uh, you know, ask questions and, and and just kind of put the ego aside and go, go for it, man. Just do it. And uh, and see what comes of it. And it's a process. And once you get it down, you're going to have a great
0: time with it. Absolutely, man. This is uh, yeah, that's it. I, I have nothing to say, man. That's that's totally it. I'm I'm thankful to know both you and to learn something new about something new. That's always uh, important. Um, And that kind of puts a pin in this after the kill series that we kind of made happen. And I'm kind of proud of that, too. I appreciate it, boys. Definitely. Heck
2: yeah, man. This has been awesome. Especially take two of the Euro mounts. That Caleb guy that screwed it up the first time. What a real McAsshole. <laughs> I like Caleb a lot better. Yeah, he's way much. He's way nicer.
0: So far, he's crushing it. <laughs> crushing it. Caleb, uh, where can folks find you on Instagram, man?
2: Yeah, so there's two main places, guys. Uh, I've talked about it before a little bit. Um, two of my buddies and I, we've got a filming and production company. So basically, we film and produce. Hunts, they're all our own. We've been on the outdoor television show. We've been on Hunt Wars. We've been on a few things, so it's kind of fun. That's Incline Productions with a K, incline underscore productions. And if you spell it with anything other than a K, it's wrong. Uh, And then you can find me, Caleb Bell 4. Pretty super easy and simple. There's a picture of me killing stuff. It's great.
0: There you go. Um, I'll go ahead and shout out uh, Bobby's Instagram because he's super frozen. But uh, you can go follow Bobby. If you want to get pictures of him (laughs) shooting a nice, uh, (laughs) gobbler this past weekend, Bobby underscore light L I T E E. And Scotty, where can folks, uh, find you, man?
3: Yeah. People can find me on Instagram. Uh, the, uh, the skull keeper, the underscore skull underscore keeper. Um, yeah, me killing a bunch of stuff too. Um, and just, uh, you know, tons of pictures of just animals and being outdoors and hiking around. And, uh, no, I love it. And I love the community we have here at hunt, left eat. I mean, it's, it's been awesome. And, and this whole podcast, uh, the after the kill podcast has been, uh, really fun to talk about because it's important stuff and it's probably some of the most important stuff, um, once you get something down. So I appreciate the opportunity boys.
0: Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Looking forward to all our future conversations. Um, We appreciate the hell out of you listeners. Thanks for entertaining us for this little mini series here. Um, Please go give hot lift eat official a follow on Instagram. Um, Stay tuned. We got a lot of stuff in the works um, fitness challenge wise leading up to Memorial day. Um, So, you know, give us a follow, give us a shout out. If you uh, have any suggestions for the podcast and uh, you know, give Bobby a follow make him feel good about himself. But once again, we appreciate the hell out of you guys and we'll talk to you next week.